Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Abby Carcio. And I'm your other host, Sydney Cummings. And from wherever you're listening, welcome to Megged, a women's soccer podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the women's professional sport. These are our unsolicited football opinions. You didn't ask for them, but we're going to give them. And who knows? Maybe you'll agree, maybe you'll disagree. But that's the beauty of the game and what's kept us friends for so long. This episode, we'll be recapping the round of 16 of the Women's World Cup. Move your feet. This is Megged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Megged. The World Cup is still World Cupping. We have just finished up the round of 16, so we're going to jump into that. Abby, real quick, how are you doing, my friend? A bit jet lag, Sid. I am in Europe. Can't announce what team I'm at, but I am back in Europe playing soccer. So I'm pretty good, but jet lagged. Really happy for you, Abs. Really excited to see what comes next with your mystery team. I'm also a little bit jet lagged. I just came back to New Jersey. Um, so looking forward to being home, seeing family, um, and honestly watching the World Cup. I came home and I watched the France-Morocco game on my parents' TV. And let me tell you what a difference it makes watching that on <laughs> a nice massive TV versus a tiny little TV or a computer screen. So excited to watch the remainder of the World Cup from the big screen. Let's jump into some of the news surrounding what occurred in the round of 16. Two main things that we want to touch on. Lauren James' red card. Let's start there, Abby. Tell me your thoughts because it's a bit controversial, I feel. Like, if you could put the word no with, like, seven O's, that's my reaction to this. Because Lauren James is so fun to watch. I think she's excellent for the England squad. And, yes, what she did was probably, by the books, a red card offense. But everyone has emotions. And, like, just let it go. Let her play. This is so funny that you feel this way. Because I just need to let everybody know. Abby's, like, low-key violent. And so this is something that Abby would do. It's an accident, like, in Abby's mind, but, like, it's not an accident. Okay, yes. For all of our listeners, I have had some incidences where I've gotten a little bit heated on the pitch. I've never hurt anybody. My intentions have never been to hurt anyone. Just as Lauren- You've never hurt anyone on purpose. No, I've never hurt anyone. I I really haven't. But, like- you always it's hard to explain but like you can take a little jab at someone and not hurt them so that's exactly what lauren james was doing here so i'm on her side but talk to me about the statement that just came out Sid. yeah so the lioness has just released a statement and it looks fake the opening paragraph says lauren is really sorry for her actions which led to the red card and is full of remorse like I don't know. The Lorna's is really sorry is really throwing me off. It just seems so fake. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I'm curious what the game suspension will look like. Does it because she could actually miss three games for a red card offense? I think it'll be one game. But yeah, I'm curious to see how all of that boils down. Regardless, I think England's really going to need to adapt without her and find a different attacking threat. Yeah, and the thing that I'll say about it, because I understand, like, passion, I mean, I've always supported you abs in in all of that, and I understand that. I just think that when you're on that stage, and that's what it comes down to, like, is it worth it? And the answer is always no. Like, that was so not worth it. Your team advances, and now you're out potentially for the rest of the World Cup. Like, was that worth stepping on Michelle Alozzi? Absolutely not. So I think what it comes down to is just, like, maturity and in that mental aspect I understand frustration but like there's just a better way to do it and so I feel like I I don't support her in that regard because it's just never worth it to me I mean that's fair and that's the difference in mentalities between you and I said like I completely understand where she was coming from yes you're right it is definitely a maturity issue and that will come with experience just as I had learned like you can't take cheap shots at people without consequences Um, And so, yeah, I think she'll grow from this experience, but it is unfortunate that it happened on the world stage. Yeah, for sure. Positive is, though, Lauren James and Michelle Lozzi have gone back and forth on Twitter, and it's all all love, all positive, so that's really good. 
Other big news uh, that happened in the round of 16 is also related to suspension, but just for a yellow card. So Vanderdonk is out for the Netherlands due to yellow card accumulation. So this is going to be the first time that sh- they're going to be playing without her on this stage. I have very strong feelings about yellow card accumulation, but Abby, I want to hear your thoughts first, either about yellow card accumulation or about what this means for the Netherlands, or if you want to save that and we talk about it a little bit later, just tell me your initial thoughts here. I think we probably fall similarly on our thinking about this, Sid. I think it's ridiculous. These yellow card accumulations going to the fifth game in this tournament without resetting makes it incredibly difficult for chippy and feisty players like Vanderdonk to make it through without getting a suspension. And so, honestly, I thought that this ended after the third group stage. And to learn that it goes beyond that, not only one game, but two games, I think it's devastating. I think it holds our game back. It it prevents players from making hard tackles and doesn't encourage the intensity that I think our game deserves. Yeah, I 100% agree. Obviously, there's different, there's varying levels of like yellow cards, right? Like sometimes you're just, it's a tactical foul, right? Other times you come in late and it's, you know, debatable studs up, right? And so those are very different for me. And so I feel like if you're going to have a yellow card accumulation that goes this long, you need to have a point system in terms of what the, what the fouls are, because I think it's absolutely ridiculous that her team could potentially get knocked out in the quarterfinals and she's not even going to play. I think that it should reset after the group stage because I think to go five games and only getting two yellow cards, I maybe to some people that doesn't sound like a lot, but as a player, like understanding what that means, because sometimes you just get a stupid yellow, like the, the ref gives you a dumb yellow. And now you're telling me you have to play the rest of the tournament with that looming over your head. Like, I just think that's ridiculous. So I 100% agree. I think that's really unfortunate that it, it takes so long to reset. Yeah, I mean, look at what happened to the U.S. Without Roosevelt, I think it really hurt them in the Sweden game. And she got a silly yellow card that wasn't really her own fault. And so, yeah, we've seen it now two times, at least in this tournament, where key players are missing from from games for kind of superfluous fouls. I mean, you just brought up Rose. So now that's three players that we'll end up talking about um, for various reasons about getting cards. So if you're ready, Abs, let's jump in and we'll start with Switzerland versus Spain and going over the round of 16. Starting off with Switzerland versus Spain. This was the first game in the round of 16, and it started with a bang for sure. Bonmonti was the player of the match for me, I thought. She just played unbelievable. She was involved in pretty much everything in this in the Spanish attack. What were your thoughts on Spain, Abby? Yeah, I thought I was pleasantly surprised to see Spain back in their flow. Um, I had Bonmonti as my player to watch throughout this tournament. She is not doing me a disservice she is absolutely fire especially within the 18 like both of her goals were so crafty and technical it just epitomizes what Spain is and also how Bon Matty plays yeah I completely agree and I feel like in general Spain gelled this entire match like they looked fantastic there was such a big difference between this game and the Japan game for me and their play. And the big difference is finishing, right? When they played Japan, they still dominated possession, but they had some, you know, unforced errors and turnovers, but they could not put anything in the back of the net. On the flip side, I feel like they still dominated possession, still had some unforced errors, but were able to put the ball in the back of the net. And that was the difference for them. But I've got to say, moving forward, I still don't think this back line is World Cup champion material. Like, there's just such a lack of discipline with Leon's absence. Can we just talk about that fire of an own goal? That girl turned around and pinged the ball and said, try and save this to her own goalkeeper. That was probably the worst start that girl could have made. She did get the goal back later in the match. Um, Like, she scored for her own team, uh, luckily, but I I couldn't help but laugh. What did you think as a defender, Sid, about that goal? 
I laughed. I I I laughed hysterically. I thought it was worse than the Italy one, and For I was sure. very critical of the Italy one. I know that. I, that's why I laughed. I think because we had such a deep discussion about the Italy one, which I thought was like not just the defender's fault, but this one. This girl had all the time in the world. She was nearly at half field and pinged volleyed it back. So that was, I'm glad that Spain won this game because to go out like that would have been a catastrophe. But yeah, overall, you're right, Sid. They they put their chances away. They were clinical in front of the goal. I think Switzerland, it was unfortunate to see this scoreline for Switzerland. I think they're a good team. I think they have good chemistry, but they lack that ruthlessness that I think the top teams have. I would love to see what they do in the Euros, which is in their home country in a few years' time, but Overall, I think the better team won this one. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you'll know what I mean when I say this, but like Switzerland is just kind of a boring team to watch, right? Like they just kind of move the ball. They they play, they do the fundamentals like pretty well, but I just don't feel like they have an X factor. We talk about that all the time. I just don't feel like they have an X factor, whether that be a player, a, a team dynamic or or anything. So I just feel like this was simply a means to an end for them. Like they couldn't retain possession. And then unfortunately, I think the moment Spain started scoring, they just opened up. Like I thought they could have tried to capitalize on that defensive error, but I just feel like this, this was a means to an end. Spain was always going to go through. Going forward, Sid, facing a team like Switzerland that you were just saying, they you know, they struggle to put the pieces together, lack an X factor. Going into this next match against the Netherlands, who have a very different profile, I think they do have an X factor and they also have that cohesiveness. How does Spain fare in the next round? Yeah, that's something that we'll have to see. That was the first game in the round of 16, Switzerland versus Spain, 5-1 Spain. Next game is Japan versus Norway. So this is the same side of the bracket. Again, we had an own goal in this game. Tell me your thoughts here, Abby. This one was pretty unfortunate. It was more of a deflection than anything. Like Kia, our college coach, would always say, serve the ball, whip it in. As the defenders are running back towards their own goal, mistakes could happen and goals could be scored for your team. So this was not as spectacular as the 40-yard ping from the Spanish defender, but a goal is a goal and it went in Japan's favor. Yeah, 100%. And honestly, hats off to Norway, right? Like being able to to fight back and and equalize. I feel like this they looked the best in this game. Obviously, their game against the Philippines was their best result and they had some good finishes, but they're above that for me. And I feel like this was their best play against an opponent where they really had to compete. So, I kind of want to know like what's happened here. I feel like a lot of news has come out from different camps, you know, Italy, Germany have said, you know, they weren't happy in their camp environment whether that's from lack of support, coaching staffs, you know, I think there's a lot to be reckoned with when this tournament officially does close. But I want to know what happened here because I don't think it's a lack of talent for them. Certainly not. I feel like they have all the gear, but no idea if that makes sense. Like they have the players, they have the tools that they need, but they just can't implement them in the right way. And it was disappointing. I mean, they got a good matchup. Japan's a solid team. And I I think you're right, Sid. They did play their best football here even without Hegeberg, like she came in later in the match. But I think Wrighton's goal was a smasher of a header. I love to see that. And they had other chances. But at the end of the day, Japan is just so clinical. And I think their forward movement, I really want to talk about this with you, Sid. I think their forward movement is so intelligent and and by far the most intelligent in this tournament so far. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the stats on it, but 100% they have to be the most effective team going forward. They when they go forward, the way that they transition up the field, the way that they are able to put the ball in the right places, like I think attacking wise, they're so effective. For me, the only thing they need to find a way to shore up is is defensive set pieces. When it comes to set pieces, I just feel like they kind of lack in that grit. I mean, it also doesn't help their relatively small roster. Um, but I feel like that's probably their biggest weakness. But the good thing about Japan, said is that they know that's their weakness. I really think they do. And so that's why they try and control the tempo and pace of the game and where the ball is. I think if Japan continues to score goals at the rate they are, that weakness is nullified. Like you look at the scoreline, right? A one goal for Norway against a team that's less disciplined in front of the opposition goal could be a loss, right? But if you're scoring three goals a game, 
you're always going to win regardless of if that weakness comes to fruition or not. And so we'll see in the next, in the next matches, if Japan can keep it together, I think they've been super consistent and I'm really excited to see if they can go all the way in this tournament. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. Like they put themselves in such a good place where they can withstand the pressure at the end of the game. And if by chance they do concede a goal, you're still up. You know what I mean? So hundred percent, I agree with you. I'm excited to see what they look like going forward. I feel like they're kind of surprising a lot of people, but like not actually, <laughs> like if you really watch them play, they're, they're just doing what they do really well. Um, and I feel like because there's been up and downs in other places in this tournament, people are surprised, but Japan can, Japan can very much so go all the way. So it'll be interesting to see what this side of the bracket ends up looking like. That is Japan versus Norway, 3-1 Japan. Keeping on the same side of the bracket, we have Netherlands versus South Africa. This was a great game, I thought, in general, right? I thought the Netherlands are are playing really well. They're connecting through the midfield. Defensively, they're really disciplined. And then South Africa, on the flip side, I feel like their identity is transitioning, but transitioning really well, right? Like, I don't want it to get roped into, oh, they're a, an African nation team. They're just super fast. They're super physical. It's not that. They transition really effectively for me because they've had to play against high possession teams. But when they go forward, they have so much technical and tactical awareness that every time they transition and go forward, they almost generate a goal scoring opportunity. And that does not come down to speed. That comes down to tactics and technical ability. Yeah, we think the exact same on this one said South Africa plays direct, but with a purpose. That transition is intelligent. And if if anybody has questions about whether this team has just one dimension in their speed, just watch Katlana play. Watch her do scissors and put defenders on their butts because her technical ability is bar none, like world class. And so it's not a question in, in my mind that this, this team is really, really holistic. And I was excited to see that. This was a great matchup. I thought there was a lot of transition in this game and that, lent itself really well to South Africa. But at the end of the day, I think experience won out in this game. What do you think, Sid? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I feel like the Netherlands, Berenstein in particular, she caused some real problems with her movement. And I feel like a lot of that came down to, you know, how can I move people out of position? Because South Africa hasn't been the most defensively sound, right? They are susceptible to being drawn out. So I feel like they kind of understood how can we manipulate the South Africa team? And that's the next step for me for South Africa, right? I feel like now they're figuring out this is how we like to play. The next step for them is when you play against another team, how can you combine the way you like to play and manipulate the way they play so that you can then score goals? You know what I mean? So I thought I thought it was a great game just in terms of pure entertainment and two teams that really stayed true to their identity. Yeah, if you look at the scoreline 2-0, you might think, you know, it was a it was a thrashing or Netherlands kind of had control of this game. But I, I think the contrary. I really do think if you look at the goals, they were basically on errors. The first goal for Jill Roard was a lucky bounce. She finished it. I think the second goal was also a mistake on the South African goalkeeper's part. And then the chances that South Africa did create, which were many, were basically kept out of the framework from the goalkeeper for Netherlands, Van Domsler. I thought she had an excellent game, consistent with all of the other goalkeepers in this tournament. We've just seen spectacular performances between the pipes. And so, yeah, I think if you look at the scoreline, it doesn't show the whole picture. And I'm really proud of the South African team. I'm curious what they do in the next four years. But I think Netherlands' consistency and experience push them forward. And the game against Spain, again, it's going to be a great matchup. Yeah, I I want to say this about the South Africa team. I think they, out of all the teams in the tournament, should be the most proud of their performance. For me, I think they played, I don't want to call them necessarily an underdog, right? But unfortunately, I feel like when we talk about women's football, you know, we're talking about the teams that play in Europe and the U.S. And so I feel like no one really looked at them as having a shot. I mean, we both of us didn't predict them getting out of their group. But I feel like they did so well and what set them apart, because I also think Nigeria did really well, but I think what set them apart is their ability to score and their ability to be effective going forward, whereas Nigeria on the flip side relies a lot on shutouts. I think that South Africa, give them some time, 
force to be reckoned with for sure. And that's what I love about it because it's going to change the game so much. Like I'm tired of talking about only European countries in the U S when we talk about domination. And when we talk about all these players, like a new, a new cycle is coming. Right. And I'm, I'm really excited for that. One thing I want to ask you really fast though, abs, because we did kind of allude to it in the beginning. What does this Netherlands team look like without their midfielder Vanderdonk? Honestly, I think they're going to be fine. Vanderdonk does bring energy and I think she is a playmaker in there, but I think this Netherlands team is so close that a replacement for her is just going to fall in seamlessly. I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as a Rose Lavelle or a Lauren James miss would be. Granted, Vanderdonk is one of my all-time favorite players. I think she creates great offensive production, but I think this Netherlands squad is just ready and I think they're deep in the midfield. Yeah, so we'll have to see how they do without her. That is Netherlands versus South Africa, 2-0 the Netherlands. Moving on to the last game on this side of the bracket, Sweden versus USA. I feel like we could talk about this for so long, Abby. But, okay, this was a nil-nil draw. It went into extra time, then went into penalty kicks. Sweden advances on penalty kicks. Let's just talk general about the game first. I would like to say... I want to raise my hand and say, Emily Sonnet and Andy Sullivan, well done. I have been so critical of the two of them, specifically Emily Sonnet. And I actually feel like they changed this game for the U.S., especially in Rose's absence. So I just want to start off by saying, as much of a hater as I am, I can also raise my hand and say I was wrong. Yep, I'm in the same boat as you. Less so for Andy Sullivan. I haven't been very critical of her um, but yeah, Sonnet is someone that I just, it irritates me when she's on the pitch, but hats off to her because she was a different player in there. I thought she was aggressive. I thought her positioning was great. I think it helped that they had two sixes and they were really working together, but I also thought she did pretty well in possession. Like she was keeping the ball, switching the point of attack. Um, yeah. So hats off to her. She's somebody that came into this match and did her job. We always talk about these great teams, knowing your role as an individual and doing your job. I think she did just that in a moment where her team really needed her. So well done to her on that one. Wait, do you think that this might be her new position? Because we've been really critical of her at center back and full back. But I mean, since she's been at Oil Reign, Laura Harvey has kind of transitioned her into more of a defensive center mid. Like what I'm not going to say that this is, you know, by any means, it could be a fluke. Like, who knows? Who knows? It could just be the game, the system, whatever. But I don't know. Like, I think I can maybe get behind the idea of Sonnet at the six if she performs this well. I think in a double six, I think she's good. I thought I thought you can see her tactical awareness in that position. She has less ground to cover, and it simplifies her decision-making offensively. I don't think she's better than Sam Mewis at a six when Sam Mewis is healthy. So that's the question that I would, I would raise, but overall, I think this is probably her best position I've seen her at. Yeah. Well, honestly, isn't that the big, the big question that needs to be raised about this entire team? Like this roster would be so different if there were no injuries at all. So, I mean, we can also talk about that. Let's actually, let's switch gears. Let's talk about Sweden a little bit um, because I feel like there's so much to talk about on the U S side. I also want to touch on them. I felt like they withstood the pressure really well. Obviously they had their own opportunities going forward, but I low key feel like they kind of cowered over the fact that they were playing the U S I feel like this, they dropped off on this game. I feel like the performances that they've had earlier in the tournament have been better than what they showed through 90 minutes and extra time for this game. I think when Sweden and U S play, it's like in a vacuum, regardless if it's in a world tournament or not. It's just a completely different game, environment, emotional energy surrounding it. So I kind of expected this to happen. But you're right, Sid. Like tactically, I thought that they withstood defensively decently well, but I didn't think they generated a ton offensively. I thought they were off their rhythm, and that's credit to the U.S. I thought the U.S. probably had their best game in the tournament, albeit not the best I've ever seen them perform, but I thought they were kind of jumping down their throats and Sweden was kind of doing some last ditch defending. And I think they're both sizes. I don't think Sweden played incredibly well, but I also think the U S gave them a good fight. And so I'm not concerned about Sweden moving forward. I do want to highlight Muscovich, their goalkeeper freaking had the game of her life. She kept them in this game for sure. 
Yeah, she played out of her mind. And sometimes that's the performance you need to keep you going, right? Like Sweden's been playing really, really well throughout this tournament. You know, they dip a little in their performance here. So it takes a player to step up and kind of say, okay, I've got you guys, don't worry. And, you know, that's that's what makes a team. That's what makes a good performance. So I agree, like hats off to them in terms of advancing and finding a way to win and finding a way to move forward. Um, I think that, you know, you're probably right. It's played in a vacuum. I feel like they had a mental advantage here over the U.S. that they didn't capitalize on because the U.S. was obviously playing poorly. And I felt like Sweden had more vets. So they had more people who understood that rivalry um, and, you know, tactically how the U.S. plays and, and all of that. So I felt like they had a bit of a mental advantage that they didn't capitalize on. But at the end of the day, they're going through. So maybe they did capitalize on it. Let's transition back to the U.S. You and I have both said now much, much better play here, but still not what we expect when we think of the U.S. national team. I think, number one, Roosevelt was missing. That is a huge key to our offense. Right. I think Lindsay Horan was one of the only sources of creativity on this pitch. And that was ultimately our downfall in front of goal. We created more chances than the three matches previous, which was great to see. I just think there was so much swirling around the U.S. team in the last month and since this tournament started that it just was never going to fall into their favor. And you could see that on how this game ended. Like, that is the epitome of this USA team right now. Like, we just can't get the ball rolling. And even if it's rolling, it's always stopped just before we succeed. And so I can't even pinpoint one thing in this game that went wrong for the U.S. It's just something's off. And I think there's been a lot of talk behind the scenes about coaching decisions or the environment the players are in or the media surrounding them. I think there are a lot of external factors that we can't see that are contributing to the performance on the pitch. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think, you know, the U.S. national team takes so much heat, which is so unfortunate because I feel like they take a lot of heat from people that, like, don't even understand tactically or like anything, they just either one expect the women to win because of equal pay fights and are just so ignorant to like what that all meant and what that all means. Um, and two, I feel like it's really easy. I mean, we do it. It's really easy to sit behind a screen and critique when you're not there. Um, and so I definitely agree with that in terms of personnel. You also mentioned injuries, right? When you when you threw in Sam Mewis, this team roster wise is talented, right? Like everybody on the roster is super talented. Do I think that they were managed really well in terms of minutes? No. And there's a couple things that I want to say about injury. The main thing that I want to say, I want revenge for my girl, Becky, because the whole reason why Becky wasn't allowed, and I'm using air quotes here, to be on this roster was because she's nursing an injury, right? And she had said on a, on a podcast that they believed since she couldn't go more than about 20 minutes in a game, it didn't make sense to bring her. Okay. Alana Cook played zero minutes in this entire World Cup. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. Not her fault, but she played zero minutes. You're telling me in a game like this, you can't put Becky on the field at center back, bump Ertz up, and generate more creativity going forward? Like, I don't understand this logic at all. I've, I'm a hater of Latko. My entire, <laughs> my entire, like, being has changed about what I feel like the problem is for this national team. And it's him. It's him. I think that's a poor decision. I think in the future, you know, there's so much positivity to look like there's so much to look forward with. Obviously, with Mal Swanson not being here, Katarina Macario not being here, Sam Mewis not being here. There are a lot of positives in terms of what's next and how deep this roster has the potential to be. But I just feel like they weren't utilized properly. Yeah, so let's just dive into that really quickly with these subs. How many of these U.S. players didn't even see the pitch for one minute? Granted, we played Vietnam. We played these teams that we should be able to hand losses to easily. And you're not utilizing your bench at all. These players got zero minutes in four games. I mean, if you want to create more injuries, here's one way. Overplay your players in tournament play. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of questions around Vlaco. We don't need to belabor that point, but it was a shame to not see some of these players be played. 
and yeah, our Queen Becky, such a shame. I really, really hope we see her in some sort of Olympics, but highly doubtful. We'll see. What do you think about that, Sid? Honestly, this thought occurred to me as you were just speaking about this. The reason why I think I find that so frustrating, what you just said, is because leading up to this to this tournament and, you know, after the Olympics, we've been critical of Vladko's transition, right, between old and new. He played so many new players so much. Like, Ashley Sanchez, I feel like, played in every single friendly, every everything leading up to this tournament and never stepped foot on the pitch. And we talked about chemistry and we talked about how these, these players weren't necessarily gelling together because the lineup kept changing. And I feel like, what was the point of doing all that if you were just going to play your vets anyway for the most amount of minutes and let them struggle? So, yeah, I think you make a great point there. And that's why I feel like it's just so confusing. Well, we got to wait for the Black Hotel all to give us the answers for this. But let's talk about those PKs, Sid. I mean, every player that's ever taken a PK understands the absolute stress and pressure you're under in these moments. But yeah, what do you think about it just not falling the U.S.'s way? I want to be really intentional when I say, like, Penalty kicks are can be really stressful and they can be really hard, obviously, like we did them in the NCAAs. So I could only imagine what it's like doing them in the World Cup. Um, the one thing that I will say is that I feel like the U.S. had this. They had the opportunity to put it away, right? Like you were up and it's really unfortunate because sometimes things just don't go your way. Obviously, Rapino missing, like no one, no one saw that coming. Like she does not miss. Sophia Smith missing, right? Like no one saw that coming either. I feel like when she stepped up, she looked super confident and like doesn't hit frame on the flip side, Kristen Mewis, like, wow, hats off to her. First touch of the entire world cup is bearing your PK. But then on the flip, like we see Kelly O'Hara gets subbed in a minute before the game gets called, doesn't get a touch, misses her PK. It was very men's England men's team in the, in the euros. So the, the way I feel about these PKs is it's really, we, we've been critical about PKs from the, the time this tournament has started, like, right? Like that's your job. That's your goal. I feel like when you have someone like a listener who makes save, makes saves, steps up to then take her own PK, like you got to help her out. And I don't know. I feel like if you deserved it. Like they played really well. They deserved to win this game. I felt, and it's unfortunate, but hats off to Sweden, right? Like they went down. And so it's really easy emotionally to let that get the best of you. And they found a way to come back and win. I don't know. I feel like that last PK, like that goal line technology is going to be written in history books, though. Yeah, I will say one thing about the U.S. and their PKs. I don't think they were set up for success. A PK is a very, very acute but challenging piece of our game. And I just don't think the U.S. was strategic enough during it. You sub Alex Morgan off in the 99th minute. I know she missed hers in Vietnam. It's a different story. It's a different stage at this level, okay? Why wouldn't you have her on the pitch? You know you're going to PKs. It's a stalemate. You know you're going to PKs. Why take her off in the 99th minute? Now she's not in the lineup, which shifts everybody up one, right? If you think about it, Kelly O'Hara missing, you shift, you shift everybody up one, there's the game right there, right? I also think Kelly O'Hara coming off, like you said, Sid, coming off the bench, cold. Put her in for an extra 15 minutes. She's got the legs. It's not like she's never been on the world stage before. She's not going to give up a goal in those 15 minutes. And so put her in a little bit earlier, get her in the game, in the rhythm of the game, get her muscles warm. And so I just don't think that these players were set up for success in this PK shootout and in the tournament in general. Megan Rapino, that sucks to be your last like touch ever with the U.S. crest on, and that's why she was laughing. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think it comes down to preparation, and, and it wasn't there. Yeah, 100%. I feel like what you've been saying about they they were not set up for success, right? Like, the reason why everyone's like, what's going on with the U.S.? What's going on? Because something's going on, and, like, we don't know it. So I feel like, you know, the Vladko tell-all. There's also a website, hasvladkobeenfiredyet.com gold like some people are just so funny I don't know who came up with that but comedic gold I will be checking that every single day until the answer is yes but I mean it's unfortunate it's really unfortunate for the U.S. I I hope Sweden does well moving forward um and I think the U.S. can learn from learn from this experience 
Um, but you know, it is what it is. This is this is the beauty of the game. Yeah, I mean, this classic U.S. Sweden had everything really. It did, but yeah, it illuminates the gaps in the U.S. system. It illuminates areas that clearly need to be looked at and catered towards. And so we have four years to get our crap together. Um, less than that because of the Olympics, but four years for a World Cup and. You bet your bottom dollar I will be invested in the development. Let's see how it goes. That is Sweden versus the U.S. Nil-nil draw with Sweden advancing on PKs. Moving on to the other side of the bracket, but not a different scoreline, we have England versus Nigeria. This was also a nil-nil scoreline that went into PKs with England advancing. I want to start with Nigeria. I actually think they could have won this game and debatably should have won this game. I think they outplayed England. They put really good pressure on the wings and technically tactically they stacked up against the top pick to win the tournament right now. Yes, I completely agree with you, Sid. I thought Nigeria outplayed England marginally, but I thought they were the better side in the game. And I thought defensively they were really sound. They put in a physical shift but they also had great distances between their back line. I thought offensively, they created chances. They used their transitional play well. And they went the distance with this squad. Again, this came down to experience. And England had experience with PKs on the world stage. And I thought they kind of just out-experienced Nigeria for this one. I agree. I really think that was that was the biggest difference in this scoreline. Right. There's just difference in experiencing that pressure um, at this stage. The one thing that I do want to say for Nigeria, so many positive takeaways, so many. But I think they just need to be more effective going forward. I think if they had been able to put away one of the chances that they had generated, because they do generate opportunities. It's just a matter of finishing. I think if they were to do that, they would be advancing right now. I don't really see the England coming back from that because I think they would have been too shocked. So I think they have so much to look forward to in terms of this squad and in terms of what comes next. This is one of the teams that is going back and forth with their federation as well. Um, so if they're able to also get proper resources and proper support, I think we're seeing a new team positively, right? But like a, a new team coming in next cycle. Yeah, I loved watching them. I thought they had great spirit great energy in addition to the fact that they played excellent football they knew their identity the entire tournament and so right said i'm i'm really excited to see how they improve and how they do with proper backing but let's flip over to to the england side because we saw Kira walsh back which was a surprise to everyone we thought she was going to be out of this tournament and out for nine months with an acl then we find out it's not an acl and then she's playing 90 plus minutes in this tournament. I think some people might question the fact that she missed a game and then she played 90 minutes. I really do think Kira Walsh, along with Lauren James, is the key for this team this time around. And so I, I was in no doubt that Kira Walsh should be on the pitch as much as you possibly can get her. What do you think about this, Sid? Yeah, I think I rate her. I Obviously, I rate Kira Walsh. I'm just curious if it's a good decision, right? Like, after the game, I saw videos, she was limping off the field, right? I'm not saying don't play her. I'm not saying don't start her potentially. I just don't necessarily know, like, if you're banking on advancing, if it makes sense to play her for 90 plus minutes. I'm more so under the mentality, right? Like, I felt like they played so well against China. Why not just have that same lineup, right? And then let her get minutes off the bench, I think that lineup did really well in proving that they can play really well together. They can adapt to that formation change. They can generate good opportunities going forward. So why change it if it's not broken? I have an answer for you from a coach's perspective, Sid. I think that China's defense had bigger holes, bigger gaps that Laura Coons and Katie Zellum could find from those double six positions. Whereas I think Nigeria, they were a lot more defensively sound and they had smaller gaps where a player of Kira Walsh's caliber would be able to find those gaps and spark the offense for them. I don't think Zellum or Coombs could do that job as efficiently as a slightly injured Kira Walsh could. And so I think it's actually a good move to spark the attack uh, to change the lineup for this match. Yeah, but at what cost? The girls limping off the field and they didn't even score a goal in this game. Like I mean, that's preference. That's really preference. I think she has four games to get through. 
And I, if she can get through games, I'd rather her get through a game, have an impact than to not play in a match. Like, okay, there's one thing if your knee's blown out and you can't play, but I mean, she put in a good shift. I didn't see anything in the match where I was like, oh, get her off. Kara Walsh is, is not being effective. Like I thought she was at her normal standard and she, yeah, she might have a little pain after the match, but overall, I think it was the right decision. Um, it was unfortunate that they had to go down to 10 men because I actually think they had some momentum towards the end of the game. But in the end with the PKs, they classed out Nigeria. That's how it goes at this level. I disagree with you about Walsh because it's giving me flashbacks about Sam Mewis and Julie Ertz and the Olympics for the U.S., um, in 2021 like they were playing fine but they were hurt and then both of them had to take time off after surgery or non-surgery I actually don't remember if Julie Ertz got surgery but Sam Mewis definitely has and she's still not playing so yeah sure she can put in a shift now but this is what I'm saying at what cost I just think there's a more effective way to manage her injury and do it positively where she still makes an impact that being said yes going down to PK's I'm actually a bit surprised because I feel like I thought England would go like five for five. Like I didn't think they would miss at all. Um, I was surprised when Stanway stepped up and missed. I was very surprised with that. But I mean, Chloe Kelly, it's nothing new for her. She's making a statement now about being able to finish PKs with literally everything on the line. And I think that's positive. Yeah, she's proven again that she can put the weight on her shoulders and, and carry the team. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by Stanway's miss, but Stanway is their consistent PK taker. And when you're consistently taking the PK, she usually goes to the same spot, which she tried to go this time. You need to place that ball as far left, as far into the side netting as possible. And so if you're going to miss, it's going to be wide when you're a consistent PK taker. And that's what we saw. But fortunately for her, her other teammates were there. And these PKs were freaking rockets in the back of the net. Rachel Daly and Chloe Kelly both, I mean, Chloe Kelly had the top speed of a shot in this entire tournament. And these were freaking lasers in the back of the net. So I'm glad the four other kickers had confidence going in. And yeah, they got the job done. Last thing I want to say about this game, the Nigeria goalkeeper, Nandozi. I mean, I want to wait until the tournament's done to make this bold of a statement. But I feel like she was one of, if not the best goalkeeper in the matches that they had up until this point. Like, absolutely, the saves that she was making, wow, like stunned, stunned. So I feel like that's really positive for Nigeria um, and really positive for her as well. That is England versus Nigeria, nil-nil draw with England advancing on penalty kicks. Still going on this side of the bracket, Australia versus Denmark. (sighs) I woke up for this game again, and I'm really happy I did. Australia had this from the jump. They had great control. Um, And I feel like their chemistry is what's really shining through. Like, that's why they've been okay without Sam Kerr. I think the Nigeria game, initially, they freaked out. And I felt like it took a little bit to figure out what the solution was, especially since I feel like the solution has been Mary Fowler and Emily Van Egmond, and Mary Fowler wasn't available for that game. So I feel like they're doing really well now that they've kind of found their groove. Really positive to see that Sam Kerr went out on the pitch. I mean, she got about 10 minutes, so it wasn't like we expected anything grand from her. Um, but I feel like this Australia team is is cruising forward. I thought they did really well in this game. Yeah, like you said, Sid, I thought they had control there in the driver's seat the whole way through. I do want to mention Denmark. I think they tie for my teamwork award along with Switzerland. Like, they're a good team. They work well together. They're just missing that X factor. And I think ruthlessness is the next step for them. So I'd like to see them continue to develop. But yeah, they get my teamwork award. They did have some chances through harder. I mean, they tried to play for their transition. But unfortunately, I felt like they would get maybe two numbers forward offensively. But then you had double the numbers of Australians sprinting back to cover defensively. And so that's a credit to to Australia, really, that they were just fighting for the win the whole way through on both sides of the ball. But overall, Denmark's a good team, but Australia was just way better on the day. Like you said, chemistry was great. And yeah, Sam Kerr with 10 minutes. What do you think the next match said? Do you think she's going to build up her minutes? Do you think they're going to swap Fowler out? I think you said... You said it right. Fowler and Van Eggman have a really good partnership going. So do you take one of them out for Sam Kerr? No, no, absolutely not. I I don't think so at all. I think there's no, 
just, I mean, this is what I was just saying about England. Like if it's not broke, don't fix it. I think she can come in and we've talked about this with other teams, right? Like the importance of having a deep bench. If you can have Sam Kerr come into this game and change the game, you know, 30 minutes, halftime, like whatever they see fit, but like just give fans a new problem to deal with after you've, you've already put them under the pump for 45. You know what I mean? I don't think she should start, um, at all. But I, I also don't know like what goes on behind the scenes in their camp. Um, but I think that this Australia team with what they have on the pitch is really positive, especially that left side, Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford, like they're utilizing the wide space so well. I think we've also seen that um, on the other side, but I feel like Rasso was a bit more quiet this game, but still, I mean, the finish that she had fabulous, right? I feel like she was a bit more quiet in the fact that she wasn't running at players as much but again prime opportunities they're putting things in the back of the net I do also want to say about Denmark however um I think harder was their key and I don't feel like they found her enough and this is probably something this is probably one of my critiques about Australia I don't think they do a great job with the half space so the space that's in between the center backs and the six because harder found herself in that half space sometimes centrally but also sometimes wide and so it gives people a different problem right so if you if harder finds herself in that half space wide catley and carpenter now have to decide who do they step to right because they have a player on them they they have they have to deal with the seven and eleven so i think that if they had utilized that more it gives australia a problem because i felt like when she was doing it centrally the center backs weren't always stepping so it gives her a chance to turn and run at a back line and you need those runners with her. This is what you were saying, Abs, about only having two people running with her. And there's way too many Australian defenders, you know, behind. I feel like that's kind of what they need to shore up defensively for me, Australia. If I was scouting against them, I would really focus on that half space. And I would also say the 18. I feel like they're not defending crosses and corners super well. Like they're getting the first touch, but it's like going up or it's going like two yards. And I feel like they they need to get the ball out, especially because they're going to be dealing with France in the next round. Yeah, looking at this squad and their next match, Sid, I, I would agree with you. I think one of their weaknesses is that half space. and I. But I disagree with you in the way that it's occurring. I think Gori is a linchpin for this squad, and she spurs a lot of the attack, which means she gets pulled from side to side, and she gets kind of pulled out of that space, that eight really box-to-box space, but also the six space. I think... When she loses the ball, she's oftentimes out of position and it's going to take someone else, maybe the weak side midfielder, to come in and cover that space and deny that ball into that checking center forward. I think that's one aspect. The other thing you brought up was crosses in the box and poor clearances. I think that's going to be their detriment going against France, who their gameplay is getting crosses in from the flanks. And these two teams... Both, I think, out of the tournament, utilize the flanks the best. I think Australia has one of the best final third play we've seen from the flanks. They utilize the space excellently with Rasso and Ford. Um, But it's really going to be a task to see. It's going to be a battle of the flanks for me the whole way through France versus Australia. It's going to be an excellent game to watch. I'm curious how these teams change and tactically alter a few things going forward. Because otherwise, I think it's going to be a stalemate. That is Australia versus Denmark, 2-0 Australia. Next game is Colombia versus Jamaica. This was a 1-0 win for Colombia. I think the front line, like the goal that was scored, Colombia has had some of the best goals in this tournament consistently. The goal that was scored, their front line technically, wow. Like they also play with so much passion and so much class. Like I feel like they need to get their I actually you know you just said that France and and Australia utilize their wide players really well I think Colombia does as well like their wide players are really creative and can also get a ball in with little space but can also cut inside to take it on their own and and get a shot off themselves so I think that they're really positive in doing that as well and if they keep the ball in the opposition's half as much as possible they have a better game because defensively I think good teams can break them down. This was a close one for me, Sid. And I have a question, a defensive question for you. But first, I want to make a statement. Casado, the teenager for Colombia, she's a freaking stud. Okay, she's sitting down defenders left and right. This is her third World Cup in a year. In a year. And she is the star of this Colombian team for me. 
again, I, I think Colombia plays with passion, with spice. Their creativity is, is great to watch. And I think they deserve to win this game. But here's my question for you, Sid. Right On the goal, the Jamaican back line was shifting over. The ball was on the left side. They were yep. tight. They were shifting over. And they left the weak side winger open. And yep. that's what we're always told to do, right? They, every, every coach always says, listen, no one's going to hit a 40-yard long ball to the weak side. And by the time they do, you'll be able to shift over and cover. Well, this was an instance where Columbia hit a 40-yard long ball to the weak side. And that touch, Uzme, with that class touch towards goal and finish, like, that's exactly what I'm always nervous about with the black with the back line shifting so far over. So from your defensive perspective, Sid, what could have been done differently here or if anything? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So two things. One, I feel like when that, that line is said about, you know, like shifting over, if they hit a a 40 yard ball for it's not, I feel like 40 is too low. Like if they hit a 70 yard ball, like so be it 40, I think is that's within range. Like pretty much everybody at this level and honestly in college, maybe not college, but you can hit a 40 yard ball. No problem. To me, what it is, you're right about the back line being shifted. I think if you're that fullback, you're that weak side fullback, you need to be in a position where your body shape is open and you can see what's happening on the left side. So you can see what's happening on the ball and you can see what's happening with the weak side forward. So the shift isn't necessarily the problem for me it's the body position of the fullback because if she's open as that ball is coming, you can have the proper footwork to get over and, and you're, and you're fine. You're over. Right. But because she's completely facing the ball as that ball is coming, the only thing that you can do is try to head it backwards, which would result in a corner. Or if the ball landed a little short, maybe take it down, but obviously it didn't land short. So because the distance between where the defender was and where Uzme took that first touch is actually such a small gap that like that that could have been avoided in my opinion. So it's not necessarily the shift being wrong, it's about the body position when you do the shift. Does that make sense? Totally. Love having your defensive mind to complement my attacking one. Ultimately said, I think the better team won this match, but Jamaica has quite the story. They crowdfunded to be here. And they were in the round of 16. What are your thoughts surrounding that, Sid? Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. I feel like it's something that we're seeing from a lot of these teams that don't have the big money backers, right, from their federation. And that's important. That's what's missing for me. That's it. Like, they need the funding, right? I think that they got to this stage from shutouts, right? And so if they don't get the shutout, they don't get the win. And and I think that's unfortunate, but what that comes down to for me, like their biggest weakness being their inability to score goals, what that comes down to with me, it to me is not a lack of passion or it's not a lack of emotion, right? It's more so like they, they need more experience. Like they need more time. I think they've got a good coach in now, but they need proper resources. They need to have good camps. They need to not be worrying about crowdfunding before the world cup. So I feel like that is the next stage for them. I'm not concerned about anything on the field. I think those things will come, but they need the support from the Federation. I'm tired. I'm tired, tired, tired of talking about teams needing Federation support. Just freaking do it. How hard is it? That is Columbia versus Jamaica, 1-0 Columbia. Last game that we're touching on, played this morning, France versus Morocco, 4-0 win for France. For me, France did what they needed to do, right? They had good finishes, especially they were able to capitalize on Morocco's mistakes. And I consider that a good finish because a lot of teams don't necessarily do that. Morocco, I feel like, unfortunately, unfolded after the first goal. They gave up three goals within 10 minutes. And that's just mental for me mostly, but also tactically it had to do with a lot of defensive tracking. So I think overall, this is kind of the game that people expected. They expected France to dominate this game. Um, But I think there are things that both teams can take away. So Give me your thoughts initially, Abby, with what you think. Yeah, like we said before, France and Morocco, it's a very emotional game. There's a huge link between these two countries. And a lot of players actually have dual citizenship. And so I thought that was going to spice up the scoreline just a bit. But like you said, Sid, France came in and did what they needed to do. And they really capitalized on Morocco's mistakes. The tracking was an issue for Morocco. I think that comes with experience. I think that comes with a developing national team. 
I mean, you just can't leave players open in the box, especially at the caliber of Diani. Um, and so, yeah, it was frustrating to see them kind of unravel. But at the end of the day, I think they broke barriers during this tournament. I think they're going to grow in the next five years. And on the flip side, I really do think this is going to set France up. They're, they're peaking for me. And I think it's going to set them up for a really good match against Australia. Yeah, I think overall Morocco played really well in this tournament, right? Like definitely did not expect this from them. They just need more experience and that'll come with time. Like there, there's positives happening on both the men and the women's side. So they have a lot of government backing actually. So hopefully that continues positively um, and we'll be able to see them, you know, next cycle do, do more. The thing that I want to ask you about France, defensively, obviously they got the shutout. But defensively, I just feel like something is fishy. Like Morocco was able to like get through in some regards, not really to generate a goal scoring opportunity, but able to get through enough where I'm thinking, you know, if this is Australia, who France is playing next, that's potentially a goal, right? Like it's it's different if you let Australia get through. So I want to ask you, Abby, one, if you agree with that at all. But if you do, do you feel like they get lulled to sleep when they dominate possession? Do you feel like it's cockiness? Do you feel like it's a lack of communication? Like, what are your thoughts there? I think France is so attacking minded. I think they throw their outside backs forward and that leaves huge gaps because you're, you're two center backs that you leave back. Maybe if you leave two back, you usually leave one back if you're France. They have to shift over whichever side the ball is on, leaving a gap on the other side of the field. And I think against better teams, you can exploit that easier. Um, but my answer to you, Sid, is really that I think they just throw numbers forward and they don't recover with efficiency. And I think against a team like Australia, who also uses flank play, that's why I said I think it's going to be a huge battle between the the flanks is who can get back, who can cover more ground and who can win their 1v1 battles. I I, I don't know what my answer is holistically in the back line. I mean, Wendy Renard is back there. I feel like she's kind of like this keeper sweeper 1990s player. That's kind of like there to sweep everything up for them. Um, but yeah, I think the chemistry's off mostly because they throw those numbers forward. Both outside backs get high. It's not like one gets high and weak side tucks in both get high. You're leaving your, yourself really exposed in the back line. So curious to see how that fares against Australia. Yeah, and last time France and Australia met was the friendly right before the World Cup, and Australia was able to win that. You can see it either way, right? Like, it's really hard to beat a good team twice, or on the flip side, you've beaten them once, you can beat them again. So it'll, it'll just be interesting to see. That's, I mean, we'll talk about games to watch, but I think that's it for me. That's the one for me. So that is France versus Morocco, 4-0 France. So our quarterfinals are set. Our new brackets are still good, though, Abs. want to say we predicted every team going forward correctly. So we're going to have Spain versus Netherlands, Japan versus Sweden, Australia versus France, and England versus Colombia. One thing that I want to say, bold statement, but I'm making it, I think whoever wins the Australia-France game wins this tournament. Well, I don't agree with you, clearly, with how my bracket's going to go. But, I mean, they're all good teams. That's what's so fun about this World Cup is, like, anyone could win this tournament anyone and I'll even throw Colombia in there because they're playing so well right now anyone could win so it's going to be exciting last couple matches in this world cup for me I also think it's really cool to think about of all these teams only Japan has ever won so the odds of us having a new winner is really really high and that's really really exciting for everybody involved for the sport in general for fans so I mean, this World Cup, I feel like, has not disappointed, and it's only going to get hotter from here. So with these games, Ab, give me two. What are your games to watch? Oh, this is so hard. I think all of them are really my games to watch. But I think Australia-France is going to be a great matchup, like I was saying before. And then I'm also curious to see how Spain and Netherlands play tactically. I think they're pretty different teams, but both are boiled down to the same kind of principles of keeping possession and using chemistry to win games. So those are my two games to watch, Sid. I actually agree. Those were the two that I were going to pick. So stay tuned, strap in, set your alarms because this time difference still sucks, but all four of these games, you don't want to miss it. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at megspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at megspodcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please rate us and leave reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. 
Join us next week as we tackle new topics, fight over our different perspectives, and as always, our hot takes. See you next week on Megged.